Kevin Hanley, Kahan Games. He's a very prolific NES homebrew developer. Oh, I just got that. I always just thought Me it too. was Con Games. I thought it was Con Games. Also. Everybody, yeah, I think everybody thinks it's Con Games. No, it's oh, K-Han. that's so funny. Oh, right. okay, yeah, Kahan Games. Got it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and the only way I know that is by listening to the assembly line. Otherwise, <laughs> right. it's but all just, capital letters. Right, it looks but I'm like just you know, imagining that scene from Star Trek 2. Like, exactly, right. Kahan! Kahan! Good thing his name's not Todd Erdman. Then it'd be Turd Games. You can cut that out. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's the cold open right there. <laughs> This is the Homebrew Game Club, a podcast about modern, brand new, aftermarket video games for retro consoles. On this podcast, we pick one game a month to play and talk about. Today's game is Nescape for the NES. My name is Nick, also known as Divertov, and joining me today are... Bart, also known as Clever Username Needed on Instagram. And Connor Nash, that's C-O-N-O-R-N-A-S-H on Twitter. We need, like, game show music playing. When you guys, we're introducing it. needs to be 8-bit, though. Oh, yeah, right. 8-bit cover of... The Price is Right. Jeopardy or whatever. Price is Right, yeah. Price is Right. Yep. Before we get started, I'd like to remind everyone that on this podcast, we believe in honest opinions, but we also understand that many of these games are not made by professionals. They are labors of love. Also, as a note to our listeners, we are not game developers ourselves. We are just mere fans so please keep that in mind as we offer up any criticisms of these games all right listeners at home we have a an announcement here so this is going to be a weird episode we recorded a live stream two nights ago as we're recording it was uh, march tonight's the 21st of march that was on the 19th of march we've got it on our youtube channel now it was a live stream playthrough of this entire game We did it as a party. We got together a group of people and we beat the game in real time on Twitch. So we are going to be referring back to the live stream a lot. If you have not seen it, that's okay. You could probably get through this episode, but I will say the nature of this game is we're going to spoil the crap out of it. So if you don't think you are interested in playing an escape room game, and that is basically what this is. If you do not like escape rooms, This game may not be for you, but maybe you want to hear us talk about it. That's fine. Jump right into it. But if if the idea of an 8-bit escape room game appeals to you at all, you should probably put this down and and go try to play it or at least watch the live stream because we're just going to spoil the crap out of every puzzle in this game or most of them probably. So that's the big warning here at the the top of this podcast. Uh, Yeah. So talking about the live stream, we had six people. It was it was the three of us. Uh, an, another guy that we that we bring in is a he's he is our unaffor- unofficial fourth member of the podcast. He's the uh, what is the last color of mage in micro mages? Is it orange or blue? I think I'm purple. usually orange. Okay, yeah. purple. No, purple is the first like, one. I feel like I'm green. Purple player one, green. Okay, so he is he is always our fourth on our four player games. He tolerates he tolerates us. And we tolerate him <laughs> okay. with, with, with love. Him. With love, we tolerate him with love. But yeah, he Boyne's a good sport. But he doesn't. He does not want a podcast. He does not like to talk. So he's not into podcasting. 
but uh, yeah, we got we had Boyne and we had our our uh, my wife and Bart, your wife, uh, and and everybody was a good sport. And everybody, we treated it like an actual escape room. We had about fifteen people going in the chat, including Kevin Hanley, the creator of this game, and uh, we attempted to beat it in real time, and we did. Uh, we had a few issues, and we can talk about those. But yeah, we we did manage to to get through the game with some with some help. I'm so glad Kevin was in the chat. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. so what happened, we were playing the game on an analog NT Mini Noir. Now, this is a very fancy console. It is it is $500. You cannot buy it anymore. It is extremely rare. I, I have called this the Ferrari of NES consoles. The housing of this thing is a solid piece of brushed aluminum. And you know what? It is kind of uh, wonky as hell. It has some weird problems with it. And one of the issues that it has is uh, it, it does not play nice with a lot of homebrew games. And I think that what happened here, it was either the Analog NT Mini Noir or it was the EverDrive NA Pro. One of these things, or both of them working together, screwed up the game to the point where we, we actually could not beat it. Like, it, we did not realize until about half an hour after trying to beat a certain... It was the slide puzzle. It was a slide puzzle. It, the, the slide puzzle was so glitched that we could not finish it. We actually beat the slide puzzle twice, and it didn't take. So Kevin Hanley uh, was able to give us the code to beat. It's basically a walkthrough of the puzzle, so uh, we were able to beat it that way. And other than that, I think we did manage to get through the game. We had some bugs, but but we made it. We made it. But yeah, if it wasn't for that, we would not have beaten the game. It would have been a sad story. But but yeah, so that is uh, that's what happened with, with our amazing live stream. Which uh, I definitely suggest that you go watch because it was some. It was some good video. I think it was links in the show notes. Go watch yeah. the live stream. Links in the show notes. Go watch the live stream. All right, let's talk about this game, okay? Nescape. So who is Kevin Hanley? Kevin Hanley is pretty important in the homebrew NES homebrew community. He's the co-host of the Assembly Line podcast, which has brought a lot of people into NES development. This podcast uh, would not exist without the Assembly Line. By the time that this is up, we will have posted the interview with Matt Houston, and he and I go back and forth a bit on the assembly line. We're, we're both big supporters of that podcast. It's a great source of information for NES development and sort of the history of this scene, which started out pretty small and has gotten certainly grown over time. And um, going back and listening to the first episode of that and, and listening up to the most recent ones that they've done, it's, it, it spans a course of about four or five years of probably, I, I don't know, exponential growth in the interest of that scene. So Kevin Hanley, Kahan Games, he's a very prolific NES homebrew developer. He makes a lot of NES games. He does two types. One is uh, he makes ports. So other games that have not been on NES and he ports them to the NES. One of them is the Atari 2600 version of E.T., which was actually the first... Which Bart slayed. Which Bart slayed was the first game that we ever played together That's since right. we started the podcast. You can find a horrible live stream of that on our Instagram feed. The content is great. It, it's the actual video is awful because I didn't know what I was doing. So we we shot this impromptu off my iPhone on directly onto Instagram. And it's, it, it is an... You talk about a turd. Wow. I knew what I was doing, though. Well, you did, and you smoked that. You had not played that game in how long? Thirty-five uh, years? Thirty years or more? Yeah, since it was, since I played it on the Atari Twenty Six Hundred. So shoot, mid eighties. And ladies and gentlemen, he beat that game in about twenty minutes. Amazing. 
So it was so interesting to watch because you had to explain to me as I was watching you play what you were doing. It's like you were the game and the manual. At the that's same time. right. That's that game is the reason why I always read the manual, except for Lizard, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I love callbacks. Yes. Well, that's the thing about Atari Twenty Six Hundred games is you kind of have to decode them, right? There's, you know, there's there's stuff on the screen and it's telling you what to do, but it's like reading hieroglyphics or something. Can't wait to do Atari Twenty Six Hundred games on this podcast. That's coming up before it's too happening. long. So yeah, uh, some other ports he did. He did a really great port of Scramble for the NES. Beautiful creamsicle colored cartridge that that uh, that I got from him. Uh, he did Frogger. Probably the other game that he's most well known for is a port of Leisure Suit Larry, the uh, the original Leisure Suit Larry for for PC. Sierra Online, those That's are right. the days. Allo, genius. The other types of games that he does, he does some really interesting, notable original stuff. He did the Incident, which we talked about on our Witch and Wiz podcast which is a, a top-down Sokoban-style block-pushing puzzle game, and Study Hall, which is a, I would say, it has a kind of Donkey Kong Jr. mechanic where you're, you're climbing on vines, but the, the idea is that you have doodles on a notebook page, and you are a little stick figure guy, and you are trying to get to the top of the page, and there's, there's all kinds of obstacles flying across the screen. It's a very, very challenging and difficult game, but it was an early example of a, a complete... NES homebrew game. I think it came out in 2014. There was not a whole lot of polished NES homebrew out at that that time, so it was a notable game for its time. Some of these games are available for free uh, as downloads on his website. Others you can find on Itch. There's uh, Study Hall, I think, may still be available at RetroUSB.com. So his his stuff is out there, It's and he is very well known in the community, as I said. The Kickstarter for Nescape was in August of 2019. He launched it. The game was already finished. It was fully funded in under a day. It raised over $38,000 for its Kickstarter. And it had this really beautiful cartridge release. Mm. It's like a transparent blue cartridge. And the the art for the box was done by Pika Brews. And it, like the translucent blue with this kind of like orangey color uh, that they used for the wallpaper. I mean, it's, man, it's just a really good looking complete in box copy this game you, and you can buy it now still if you give him a thousand dollars bargain total bargain. I'm, not, I'm not making that up that is what it is listed for on his website 999 dollars and 99 cents so well after this episode it's going to be worth that much because I'm, be. I'm, I'm going to be pretty positive on this game i'm going to think it's worth a thousand dollars dude we are the fucking hype train okay that's what we so, are yeah, really yes. all aboard choo 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 our clips on twitch our <laughs> clips on Twitch are hot shit. That's right. <laughs> That's gonna be. I'm gonna be in the middle of a room now, just like having a good time. Just be like, clip that. <laughs> I love just screaming that at the computer while we were playing this game. Like, Somebody fucking clip that. Somebody clip that. <laughs> Did you clip that? Did you fucking clip that? It's like I'm yelling at our fans, like, fans, somebody out there, fucking get to work. Yeah. <laughs> Just sit there, clip it. No clip free it. lunch, clip that shit. Oh my God. If you clipped something, hey, you know what? You're great. I love you. Yes. yes. We love our clippers. Now, here, here's the thing. If you don't want to pay $1,000 to play this game, you can actually get the digital ROM for $10 at itch.io. 
that is actually what I did. I did not get a physical copy of this game. Uh, and that may have factored into the game fucking up on us when we tried mm. to play through it. You know what? So maybe I, maybe I should have. Okay, let's describe the game. Let's do right. our exercise that we do where we do talk let's, about... Let's talk about things. Yeah, if someone someone is like my wife who did not... Actually did play through the game, but let's assume that she didn't. So, And she's never played an NES game. So this is an escape room game. That's like the most idiosyncratic way to describe it. Because it's like, it, it's like a game that's not like any game that was ever released for the NES ever. So it's like it's not it's not like any other game that I've ever played. I mean, I'm sure that you can find on Steam there's escape room games, but I I've never you know, I don't have any experience with this as a genre at all. I mean, for me, it it's like closest to something like Dead Tomb or or a point and click adventure like like Leisure Suit Larry. Right, sure. But at the same time, it's very structured. It's almost like I suppose one thing you could compare it to if you were really in that way of thinking about it would be a game like Mist where it's these really, you know, nicely rendered scenes and you're kind of like interacting with specific objects in the scene, but it's, there's no narrative. There's nothing that like is presented to you as a story. I mean, okay, that's a lot. That's not true. There is like an introductory screen of text and there's a screen of text at the very end of the game. Yeah, you can read something into the story. Maybe there's something there. Yeah, but like there's no like character development in this game. Sure. No, and it's also a little smaller than Mist because it only takes place in one room with four yes. walls. That's very, very important. Yeah. I think that's an interesting comparison, though, Mist. So he has, Kevin Hanley has experience making point and click adventure games. You know, as I said, he did Leisure Suit Larry. They also, for the assembly line game jam game, was Beyond the Pins. And I think they're probably going to be working on that. That's another point and click adventure game. And I think he may be working on another one right now as we speak called Courier. I, I believe that's probably coming out very soon. And I think that's another point and click adventure game. So that seems to that's that's a genre that I think he excels at. Yeah. So well that that genre has a soft spot in my heart just because that was those were my parents' favorite types of games. Okay. My parents had the IBM three eight six like computer and they would play I remember there was one game they really loved, which was by Sierra Online, uh, who made Leisure Suit Larry. And it was called Police Quest 3. And Police Quest games are fairly well known by people who are kind of like into DOS gaming. But this is a point and click game where you are a detective in the LAPD. And your wife is shot in gang violence. And you have to solve who shot her before she dies in the hospital. It's a pretty grown-up game. It's not for kids at all. And you play the role of a detective and you literally have to investigate crimes that are going on. You have to arrest people and you have to do it by the book. Like the manual was super thick because you had literally all the codes that you had to book people for. And if you didn't book them for the correct code, they would then go to trial and they would get out because you didn't book them properly. So like this was a really tough game, (laughs) really unforgiving. So many different ways that you could just like go down a certain path and then that's it. Sorry, you forgot to like book him for this particular code two days ago. So now the game's broken. You're done. And so those were tough games. but so tedious. Yeah, it's well, that's the thing. It like makes you, first of all, you have to really like the game. It has to be a really appealing game. And that's something I think we're going to talk about here. When you've presented with such a strong challenge, that has to be something that really brings you back. But also you have to, well, just kind of like enjoy moving around that world. 
as well. Like it has to be kind of nice to move around. And like, you know, there's other games that we've played, mostly platformers, that I'm just crap at. Like, and most of the reasons why I'm crap at it is because my hand-eye coordination sucks compared to most people who play NES games. We're we're gonna work on that. Yeah, right. But this doesn't require a huge amount of hand-eye coordination, right? You can just click where you want your character to go, and there they go. So yeah, I just mini rant there about like I do have a soft spot in my heart for point and click games, and I would look forward to any other point and click games that uh, Khan Games are releasing. I'm also a fan. Yes, Bard, do you have? Do you played these kind of games before? Oh well, I mean, Maniac Mansion is one of my all time. Oh favorite right, games. right, classic. Um, you know, uh, listening to you talk about that police game, it reminded me of the time that I bought L.A. Noir for the PlayStation 4. Yeah. Um, I played it for an hour, and just it was as the most tedious game I've ever played. Oh, and I bought it the day it came out. I was so excited, right? And I got it, and I played it, and I put it away. And then I came back a couple weeks later and tried playing it again and still didn't like it. So I decided, yeah, it's only been out for like two weeks. I'll take it back and... Uh, sell it back to the store for game credit or whatever. And I walked in and uh, I said, here, uh, I want to trade in this copy of El Noir for another game. And they were like, we'll give you $5 for it. Oh. And I was like, what? I went over to the shelf and I was like, it's brand new for 60 and you're selling it used for 50 and you're going to give me $5 for it. And he was like, yeah, that's what we're given. And I was like, it's worth $5 to me to go to the bridge <laughs> and throw it in the river and watch it go into the river just so you can't make $45 on it. And that was the last time I bought a bought a game at a certain uh, retailer. So yeah, <laughs> fair. Thank you, La Noir. I still have it, by the way. <laughs> Not case. throw it in the river. <laughs> That's good. That's good. If anybody wants a copy of La Noir, I'll sell it to you for six dollars. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's inflation right there. Yeah, I'm very opposed to throwing games into rivers. <laughs> it's funny because we played through this entire game, and it wasn't until you said "missed" that I really started to think of it as a point-and-click adventure game. Yeah, because it's first person. It's first person, and you point and you click at things. And the game is actually coded to work with the Super Nintendo mouse. So yeah, if you have ask about that, like the yeah, Super Nintendo mouse, not the Nintendo mouse. Yeah, so you can get SNES to NES adapters. Okay? okay, like the controller adapters. In fact, I have one. I have a Super Famicom controller with an adapter, and I use it to play Spookatron which is a Robotron-style game. I think you guys have... I've shown you this before. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a Halloween-themed Robotron-style game, like a twin-stick shooter. Now, the twin-stick shooter is very hard to do on an NES. There's a couple ways to do it. One, you can turn... You can get two controllers and turn them sideways, like what Smash TV does, and then you have your two directional pads, basically one in each hand, okay? Another way that you can do it, though, is that you can get a, a Super Nintendo controller... And this is going to come up if we if we get around to playing games like Xeno Crisis, which you have your four face buttons, and you can use those as directional buttons. So one of you know use your your directional pad to move, and then you use your face buttons to shoot in eight directions. So that's kind of a side tangent that has nothing to do with this game. But this game is coded to use one of those adapters. You can you can get a, a Super Nintendo mouse, and you can, and one of those adapters, and you can actually play this game with a mouse. And I I think it would be I'm wondering if Maybe he's going to do that for any point-and-click game that he puts out on the NES from here on out. That would be pretty cool. I mean, with NES games, there's always this space constraint of code where there's just a certain amount of code that you can fit in. 
So I don't know how much it takes. I would hope not a lot, but at the same time, that is pretty niche, right? Because it's like, not only do you need the Super Nintendo mouse, which is pretty rare, you sure. need that and the adapter to the NES, which is also pretty rare. So I, I mean, I'm just like pretty amazed that that technically is achievable. Because it just sounds like, I don't know, like, you know, those things where you plug in like a floppy disk USB to like an adapter to a USB-C to like a modern computer and it like still works. I'm like, how does that not just like fail at some point in the chain? I don't know. My my understanding as someone who is non-technical at all is that it is not that complicated. It is not as hard as you think. Okay. And it has something to do with the way the the NES and the Super Nintendo are both programmed i don't know i that is that is a question for somebody who actually makes games not for me i think it's just they're both nintendos just one is super (laughs) easy that's right just smush them together yeah you see i mean what's super about it is that it's got like an additional four buttons on the controller that's fucking super as hell right (laughs) super as hell you can quote me on that it's like two bits per button (laughs) two bits per button (laughs) you're probably not wrong I know, I know video games. I know, I know games. You know, point and click adventure games. <laughs> Talking about how your your parents like those games. When you really think about it, like some of the most adult themed games that I've ever played have been point and click adventure games. Totally, totally. It's like you can. It's it's almost a visual novel with the amount of story that you can pack into mm-hmm. a game like that. Nope, but definitely. there's so much more interactivity because you think about the puzzles in something like this are not puzzles for children. They no, are puzzles for an adult. Totally not. This isn't, I mean, it's it's not like, it, I mean, it, this uh, an escape game is not mature topics, but it's no. very, very difficult for a child to, to pick it up and play it. Like, they wouldn't know what they're doing. Yeah, and you contrast that with something like Witch and Wiz. Like we talked about, Bart, your daughter really liked that game. Like, that is a game that I, I think is very simple for a child to understand because it's just based around a mechanic. Sure. Whereas this game... Like you have to be able to listen to things like Morse code and and then translate that into, you know, words on a piece of paper. You know, that's something that is beyond a lot of children, I would think. Yeah. So and okay, let, just even to like to to set it up because we're, we're still in that point where we're supposed to be explaining what the game is, I guess. Oh right, I guess right. <laughs> um, so it's a game that is a series of puzzles that you perform in an hour. Because it's a real-time hour that you're given to solve this game. Yes. And you have many, many different types of puzzles to the extent that I don't think there's any one person, except for the game developer, obviously, who could pick up this game and successfully beat every puzzle in the game alone. Because it just tickles so many different kinds of puzzle types that I think there's so many. there's at least enough puzzles in it that not all of those puzzles will be obvious to any one person. You would need someone else's help to point out to you, oh, have you tried doing X, Y, Z, or have you tried doing that? And yeah, there's no story. It's basically the story is you're all in the room together. So that's why it was a lot of fun for us to play it together because I think we all felt like we were trapped in a room and we had to get out. True, and I think that's the whole point of like an escape room. You You go in as a group and you solve it as a group. Otherwise, it's like, if you do it by yourself, it's more like a prison break, I guess. Right. You know, I, can't, I can't imagine doing an escape room by myself, but I mean, it could be cool. But you, they do every escape room that I've done has had a time limit of forty-five minutes or an hour or whatever. It, it was very much like a real escape room, and I, I, for one, liked the game a lot. 
Yeah, and I'm really glad that you and Meredith were on this because you you were the only people in the group who had had, had experience in actual escape rooms. True. So, you know, I whereas in my mind, this is probably like the kind of stuff you would do in an escape room. I was glad to have you guys there to confirm that. It's just interesting to me that I had never considered it, like I said, Connor, until you mentioned Mist. but I guess an escape room is kind of like a real-life point-and-click adventure game, right? Probably the closest real-life analog to something like that. Yeah. So We need to get together and do an escape room sometime, a real one. Now I want to. I've never wanted yeah. to do it before. I've never had any interest in that at all, but now I do. Yeah. Just to compare. Yeah, you, you, and you mentioned like the in-game timer. Like that's really important to know. Like it, it actually ticks down. Like there is a, it starts off, you have 59 minutes and 59 seconds and it just ticks, you know, and it never stops. There's, I don't think there's a pause to the game either. Like no. you, it just keeps going. Okay, so yeah, we've we've been talking about things we like, things we don't like. What What works about the game for you guys? I think for me, what worked about it was the the progression of the puzzles like if you're in a real escape room you know yeah you might find an object that can be used later but you don't know where that could be used like same with this it's like you can't make a call on the telephone until you figure out what you're supposed to do you know it's just like you, you have to find an object that lets you solve the next puzzle, which presents after solving the next puzzle, an object, which lets you solve the next puzzle. And you have to figure out what the next puzzle is by looking at a clue with the object, which I thought was, was brilliant. All of the escape rooms that I've ever done were, were kind of like that as well. Like you'd, you know, you'd find a key in a drawer and there'd be a number on it and it'd have to do with, you know, like whatever locker is in the room and you, whatever, you know? Yeah. I, I really enjoyed the fact that you would go from, the solution of one puzzle points you in the direction of the next puzzle. Yeah, the solution of one puzzle becomes the clue of the the following puzzle. I think that was that was very nicely dovetailed as well. Like where just one kind of leads into the other, leads into the other. There's very few points where you're like obviously lost and you're like don't know where to go next. It's also like there's this kind of foreshadowing in some of it because like there's a piggy bank is like one part of the game and i'm just <laughs> yeah. like i am gonna want to smash that piggy bank so hard please let there be a clue that involves me smashing a piggy bank yeah even though there's no like narrative it's just like that kind of Chekhov's gun of like a piggy bank yeah, that's yep. gonna get smashed yeah. is it possible to skip any of these puzzles like i know there was yeah. one puzzle where you got two pieces of paper put them together and that had to do with the clock if we knew that now going in, could we just skip straight to the clock, do the thing, and then it, you would like skip four puzzles? Or is it okay? So yeah, we can't do it? right. We only played through the game in the live stream. None of us had played, tried to play through it again. But my understanding is that no, you cannot skip puzzles. Okay. So there is yeah. there is a, and in fact, I don't think the game would work. Like if if you could skip puzzles, you could just go right to the last couple of puzzles and beat the game in like two minutes. I mean, you could you could kind of brute force your way through you know i'm thinking about the puzzle where you spin the the letters around to open up the safe mm -hmm. right yeah. like there's only so many combinations it, and i wrote down most of them on a piece of paper because this is a great game for taking notes mm -hmm. like an actual like piece of paper where you can just sit down on i would and, strongly and just recommend people take notes brainstorm some, some things right it, like i just i came up with there are three letters in, in every column and there's four columns. There's only so many combinations that, of letters that make an actual word. And you could very easily just brute force that and beat the game in five minutes. So 
it would only make sense to do the game in a progressional sense, right? In that way, you could say it's arguably better than... I mean, I don't know what an escape room is really like, Bart, but like, I would imagine that because in the NES game, you can lock certain solutions and say like they don't actually work until you've gotten a certain clue, mm-hmm. you can make sure that you can't proceed without having done all of the puzzles. Whereas I don't know if in an escape room, there's a possibility that you could be like, I think I know where the last key is and just like grab it. Just yeah, but every escape room I've done has had like two padlocks on on the door to get out and you have to find the keys. And usually those keys are hidden either in a safe or behind another locked something. Right. And that key to get into that lock something is also hidden behind another locked something. So it's definitely steps down in, you know, it's very like a set of uh, nesting dolls, you know. Yes. Okay, so so an actual escape room what you're saying is built in a kind of progressional way where you you have to go through a sequence. Definitely. Kind of like how this game is is structured. So I mean, yeah, there's some like there's some video game magic here, some gatekeeping like in that video game way where you it's just going to keep you out of doing something until you do one other thing, you know, that triggers that event, but I don't mind it. I think that it works. Because we so in in the live stream to kind of recap what we were doing there we because we kept running into these glitches you know we were trying to use save states and what we realized after like an hour and a half is that save states were actually breaking the game they were glitching the game so that we could not finish it so what we had to do then is to go start over the entire game and beat every puzzle to get to back to where we were which was like the third to last puzzle in the game and it took me maybe fifteen minutes right true. So it wasn't that hard to get through the whole thing, but we did have to do it in order. But I didn't really mind that, that you have to do it in order. It just, there's a kind of logic to it, you know? I think that if you were able to just kind of skip through and do whatever puzzle you wanted at any time, like the game, the game would be a mess. Yeah. It wouldn't make sense. Whereas now it, it there is a logic to it. I would agree with that. I love the graphics. I love the music. Oh my God, just the sense of tension that I had while I was playing this game. I I told you guys, when I went through and I did that playthrough in like 15 minutes, I was like shaking. Yeah. I'm not kidding. Like my hands had like tremors. It was the friggin' music and the timer and everything else. And it was like, holy shit. Like I It's just that anticipation as well. It really builds this anticipation in a really nice way. Right. Where like there's just that kind of character in the visuals where like when the piggy bank breaks, you're like, yeah, we're getting there. And you're just oh, like, yeah. you're kind of so ramping cathartic. up. Oh my God. My favorite part of the entire game is when the hammer shows up. Yeah. Because all six of us were like, yes, yes. We knew exactly what it was That's for. It's like the shortest puzzle in the whole game. I'm so glad I'm the shortest puzzle in the whole game. Yeah. I'm so glad that you said Chekhov's gun because I was trying to think of a way today to explain the sensation of smashing this fucking pig. And it was like... <laughs> It was, it was the Chekhov's gun. The minute you see the pig, you know you have to break it. Yep. Yeah. Right. Yep. And it, as soon as you see the hammer, you're like, "Yes, this is it! Smash that motherfucker!" It is so rewarding to smash it. You and you get this like awesome animation of the pig. Bart, you pointed out the pig actually winces when you hit it with a hammer. <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah. Oh my god, that was so you satisfying. Know, the, the tension of this game for me, I think. It built and built and built all the way up through. And I know I mentioned this game in the last podcast, uh, Simon, for when we were kids. The one where you have to like oh, push the what? colored buttons. Like, beep, yes. beep, boop, beep, 
beep, boop, beep, you know, and it just kept going. And it like that game, it kept going and going. And I was playing it whenever we did that. And I was just like, good Lord, how many steps is this? It was ridiculous. And it just kept getting longer and longer and longer. And I could tell all of us were just like, everybody was repeating the colors, like everybody, except for like me and Boyne who were like writing them down. Right. Like everybody, it was like, yeah, it was like this chant. It was like red, white, red, orange, blue, you know, everybody all at the same time. I was so tempted to hit the wrong one on purpose. Just to see what the room would have done. That was, oh, but I, there was no way I was going to do that. You would never hard. lived it down. We would be referencing that on every podcast ever. Because it's, it's like, oh, yeah, you're so good at those games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hey, Bart, remember that time you fucked up Simon? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm looking here at the other stuff that I wrote. Oh, the game is just like overall really ambitious. I just think it tries to do a lot with the NES. Like when you think of, like how few tiles get used in so many other games and reused and reused and reused in so many levels. Like this has so many different designs and visuals and things because you you zoom in on something and all of a sudden it's this like really specific design just for that screen. Mm, yeah, and I just thought that was like took a lot of detail, took a lot of effort, really a lot of character as well, and it like it all feels like it's in the same room. You know, there's some right character about the room that really sticks. And so I just think, yeah, it's even though it's arguably a simple idea, you're in a room and you're stuck, like it's executed with this really high, like ambitious level of detail. Definitely. Yeah, it's interesting that you would say that it's ambitious when the whole thing takes place in one room. Yeah. It really does. Like you never leave the room. It's just four screens, really. And then details of things in that screen. You know, some other stuff that works. My my wife had some really interesting comments. I, I talked to her and, and Boyne and kind of wanted to get their takes on it. So... You know, my wife never plays 8-bit games. Like, she's never played... I, I don't think she's ever played through a single NES game in her life. No interest in doing it. She was super into this. To her, it was like, once we started playing, she has no frame of reference for, like, a, an NES game or, or an escape room game. She's never done anything like that. But what it felt like to her was like a board game. Like, one of those board games that you play with a group of people. Maybe like a murder mystery dinner party game or something like that. And... Once she kind of made that connection in her head, like she was super into it and she never really thought about how it was an NES game or like we were even playing a video game. It's just like we were just like it was a party game. Yeah. She thought the game was very retro, but in kind of a cute way, it didn't feel dated. It just felt like got its own aesthetic. But Connor, you were talking about how your your parents like point and click games. That was one thing that she pointed out is that a game like this might appeal to people who don't like video games. Yeah, I think that's true. And maybe it would be something that you could play remotely, like online with um, parents or older people. I think that's also true. When you think about the kind of game experience that it creates, I think it, it would be great actually to play over Zoom. Yeah. Or something like that with people who you couldn't see. Mm-hmm. because And you could share your screen, right. Because you're seeing exactly what they're seeing. You know, I mean, for what it's worth, it's not like you've got, you know, it's not like you're in a room in the real world and you're like showing a camera FaceTime, like, oh, what do you think's over here? It's like, no, we're all looking at the same screen. We've got the same fidelity of what we're looking at. So I think, I think she was right on with that. Yeah. And she loved it to her. Like she was thinking of that when she was thinking of all the people online who were helping out, giving us clues and things like that. Another point that she made that I thought was really interesting is accessibility 
So we were talking about accessibility with Witch and Wiz. With this thing, you know, you think about escape rooms. They're very tactile. They're very close contact. It's not a thing that everybody can do. Maybe you've got somebody who has some kind of mobility issues or something. They, they can't do a physical escape room. You know, they cannot go into a room and be stuck in there for an hour. You know, they don't have the ability to do that. This might be a good way, a, a simulation, you know, something where they could get the same experience. And also, like, she she got the sense, like, there were maybe some Easter eggs or something like that in the game, but she didn't get the references. She didn't mind it. She felt like she could still enjoy it, you know, which uh, there there are a couple like that, like the the mad wizard is in there. But you guys didn't get that either. You don't know. I was the only person in the room who knew what that was. That's actually why I thought to blow the wizard with the hairdryer, because he's from the game The Mad Wizard, and he floats. So one thing that I thought was super interesting about playing this as a group, I have a couple of, I I don't know if I'd go so far as to call them criticisms of the game, but they're like maybe caveats, okay? So one of them is, Bart, you said this earlier, who plays an escape room by yourself? Right. I've never heard of that. Maybe there are people who do that. Like maybe there's somebody who would go do an escape room completely by themselves. But for most people, that's a that's a group event. That's something that you would do with a group of people. And I think a game like this, yeah, you could do it at home. And I think the vast majority of people who have played this played it at home by themselves. But why? Why would you do that? Like to me, it seems like it would be so much less fun. And I can tell you guys right now, so I talked about the beautiful physical cartridge that this thing got. I It never even crossed my mind to buy it, though, because I knew this was not going to be my kind of game. This was not going to be the kind of game that I would want to play by myself. And I did not know if I would ever play it in a group. That was way before we were ever doing anything like this podcast. And it's just sure. like, I don't want to sit at home and play this. And when I got the digital copy, in fact, I got it because I wanted to support the game. And I opened it up and I played it. And I could not beat the freaking title screen. Right? The freaking spinny lock that thing. was so I, funny, by the way, when that happened. And when I, I was just like, all right, here we go. Right. It's a puzzle. We're going to puzzle it out. And then we spent. You, you like, were so into it. You were was, like high psyched. Then, oh my god! But then I was like, "Oh no, wait! This is actually kind of hard." And I, didn't know what <laughs> I was like, "Why don't you just try press and start?" And it solved itself. Right. I never. Yeah, and see, I I never beat it. I didn't even figure out that you that you could just press but start. <laughs> you okay. Know, so speaking of the escape room, though, you said you no. Know, who would play it by themselves? My wife and I decided to go do an escape room. Uh, just like as a date night, it was like a double date with her friend and her her friend's boyfriend, and we so we bought tickets. We did went to the escape room, and the escape room we went to was designed for six to eight people. So they put us in the room with two people we didn't know. So oh, we had to, wow! Yeah, so it was like a team building that, exercise with strangers. So that I don't is think an interesting dynamic. I don't think you can do an escape room by yourself because they're designed to in the hour allotted. You need to have six tickets bought. You know, so the place is making $120 for the hour instead of $20 for the hour, or however much it costs, you know? Right. Yeah, and I I, I mean, I, I honestly was not that interested in this game until I realized that you could play it as a party game. Because I did try to play it several times. I, Bart, I told you this. We, we kind of messed around with this when we were testing the live stream. Mm-hmm. I tried to play this game, open it up, try to get anywhere with it, probably half a dozen times. And... You know, we were talking about playing the incident and how I would just stare at the same screen for an hour. 
Man, I did that here, and it's like, at least with the incident, it's very simple. You know what to do. There's fucking blocks on a screen, and you got to push them around, okay? Like, here, it was like, dude, I don't even know where to start. Like, I, okay, there's books. Great. Oh, there, shit, there's a piano. Oh, my God, there's a little armoire. There's a fucking uh, safe over here. Oh, God, what the hell the am I supposed bag. to, you know? Look at the piggy bag. I just started, there's a fucking piggy bag. I just started, like, freaking out. I was like, I don't... I'm like I. I feel like I'm too stupid to play this game. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Yeah, but while you were while you were setting up the stream, I did the same thing. Like I was just sitting there. Like, you did right, too, and you have gonna... experience with this stuff. Yeah, and you're gonna. So I was like, all right, he's gonna mess with the Twitch Twitch stream. I got the camera up, and it's ready to go. I'm just gonna sit here and play so that. And how long did if you it do? Does that? go live? You can see me, and I played for forty minutes. It was like 40, 45 anywhere. minutes. Yeah, yeah, you didn't get so, anywhere. Right. But then it was like in the last five minutes of that hour, you decided to sit down and just kind of mess around and you started writing stuff down. You're like, oh, shit, I solved the puzzle. Oh, shit, I solved two. Oh, three. Yeah. Okay, we got to stop because I don't know how. After how I had already put like an hour into the game, you know, over the last year, anytime that I picked it up, you know, I so that's what was great about playing it as a group Yep, is every single one of us solved a puzzle. All of us solved at least one puzzle throughout the game. and. Like the commenters at home, most of whom had already played the game, they were like, wow, you guys are just ripping through this. But it didn't feel like it. It felt like, okay, we fucking earned that, you know? Yeah. It didn't feel like we were ripping through it at all. And even watching back over the live stream, I'm like watching it now. Like, oh my God, this is like, this five minutes is so awkward. It's so obvious what the, the solution is. Right. But when we were there, <laughs> we were just like, right. oh, let's hit the, the, the hairdryer against our heads or like. The, the big payoff moment for me personally was when we were trying to figure out the the uh, clock with the dots. And I was like, yeah, come on, guys, right. that's a colon. Like it just, it clicked. Uh, yeah, right. You know? And then another one clicked with you, Connor. You were like, I think it was the music puzzle. Something clicked with you. The one that up. I remember really clicking was the phone number and figuring it out based oh. on the first letter of the words. Yes. Yeah, the fucking acrostic. You did that. You know, we're thinking of like all the metaphors that this thing could be referencing. And you're just yeah. like, oh, it's the first letter of every word. Amazing. Yeah. But it's like one of those things that like, because I was watching that bit again and I'm like, oh my God, we're taking so long to figure this out. But like, it, it is pretty not obvious until you're like stuck and you're like really thinking about escaping. <laughs> and I can tell you right now, like I never would have gotten that. Literally never. I would have, I, I would have. There are so many places where I would have just put the game down and never come back to it. Yep. It never would have occurred to me that every single letter, the first letter, it's a, it's a fucking acrostic and I just got to put them together. But you know, it took all of us working together. I'll I'll point out one that my my so I talked about my wife playing this game. So my wife has experience working like she's she's got a degree in early childhood education. So she's worked with developmental psychologists, right? And one of the things that you do when you're taking classes in developmental psychology is they have you run exercises where, you know, you have to decode baby talk. And so there's all these exercises that you can do where you, you are listening to words that aren't real words, but there's like meaning there. I, I, I can't even describe it, but she brought that experience to these, the low 
quality of these voice samples. And it's like, what the hell are they saying? And, you know, everybody's criticism online of this game is, is that in the slide puzzle? They're like, the slide puzzle is really hard and annoying. And then you've got these voice samples that are really tough. But like, she had no problem with them at all. She thought they were super easy because she's done exercises like that. Like if we hadn't had her in the group, how much longer would it have taken us to solve those puzzles? That's what I thought was interesting, was that all all six of us brought something different to the table and all six of us working together beat the puzzle. We are the G.I. Joe of escape room puzzles. Yeah, we we right. we happened. are the G.I. Joe of escape room puzzles. That's right. I will say uh, this is the first time in my entire life that I've ever decoded Morse code. Yeah. I've always heard it and just been like, there's no way in hell I could ever figure that out. And it forces you to have to figure out. Isn't that so weird, though? Because like when you're in that moment and you're like so focused on it, Mm -hmm. your brain does kind of kick in a little bit. And it does say like, okay, I got to figure this out now. I've got like the timer and everything. And you're like, you really do solve puzzles in a way that like, if I like had shown that to you earlier that day. In just like around, like, hey, I've got this like audio clip. Wondering if you could figure out what the Morse code is. You'd be like, fucking no way, no chance. Yeah. I'd be like, that's in the escape room game. I'm gonna opt out of this one, you know. But it's like once you get in that puzzle solving mode, it, your brain just works in a certain way. I think, and it just kind of opens a door in your brain. I totally agree. I totally agree with that. Which is why I would say to people, if they're interested in a game like this, to play it and not like think, oh, those puzzles will be too hard. You you do kind of get into the swing of it. One thing that Boyne noted that I thought was really interesting, and Bart, I think you had said this at one point too, is that this the only time that he could see playing this solo might be as a mobile game. So if it were like an iPad app or something like that, mm-hmm. he thought it would be kind of interesting to play that way, where you could where you could just kind of drag stuff around and touch it. He he, it's like the room. He felt like you know, is it something that you could put down and come back to and and play as you know, like on a trip or something? If you had like a long plane flight overseas or something. If you get a chance, download the room on your iPhone. It's the same thing. Oh, really? Okay. Yep. Great. Yeah. It's a great game. Do you guys have any other criticisms about this game? The only criticism that I had was at the start, first time I ever picked it up, was trying to figure out how to find the light switch. <laughs> that's, that's it. That's the only criticism I have. And sometimes in the middle of the game, the light goes off, and I'm like, well, crap, we're in the room with the grandfather clock. How do I get back to the room that has the light switch? So you have to, like, go to a room, search the entire room. Am I in the right room? It's I like a, it's a pixel hunt, right? Yeah. You're waiting for that, that eyeball to change into a hand. Right? Yeah, definitely eats up some time. Maybe that's intentional. But that's my Maybe. only gripe with the game. Connor, you have anything? When we, went, we mentioned the audio thing, but that's like a trope at this point. I'm happy to, like, move past it. You know, I mentioned that I didn't get a physical copy of this game, and and one reason was because I did not think it was going to be my kind of game. The other one was I felt like as an escape room game, my assumption would be that the game would not have a lot of replayability. And I didn't know if I wanted to swing out for like a physical cartridge when I was probably only ever going to play the game once. Yeah. You know? And having played through it and beaten the game, I think I think that was probably justified. Like, I don't know that I'm ever going to play this game again. I believe that's the nature of the beast, though. Yeah, I, I get it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, that's, it's, 
Maybe. My only disagreement with that is that, like, how much does it cost to keep six grown adults entertained for two hours? Fair enough. Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, for the, for the price of entry, I think it's worth it. But, like, do, do I need the thing sitting on my shelf fair, for the next 30 years or however long I'm going to keep these games? Like, Yes, you do. Look behind you. It needs to go right there in the empty slot. Okay, I, right behind me, I have a big shelf of, of games, including all of my homebrew. Yeah, I see, that's the thing, though. Is it like, okay, if I play this through this game again, it might be with my kids. Right. When they get older, like I could see myself playing through this again and like laughing because I know all the solutions and they don't and, you know, whatever. But again, do I need a physical copy for that? I don't know. So that's that's why I didn't swing out for it. But I I mean, you know, I totally if if you bought a physical copy of this game, I mean, it's fucking beautiful, man. It's a great looking cartridge. Mm -hmm. Bart, you would have like shit your pants if I would brought this thing to the studio because you're down there like setting up these artsy photos of these games in my analog mini, you would have loved this one. Like it, it just glows, you know, it's a great looking cartridge. Yeah. Great package. I did something with a cartridge that it got a little out of hand, but I think ultimately it looked, looked you almost set my cartridge on fire. Well, no, you literally texted me to ask if you could set the cartridge on fire. No, no, no. I said, how much would the replacement cost be if I set it on fire? Because I I thought you'd already done it burning. I thought this was like a ask for forgiveness, not, not permission kind of thing. I thought no, you'd no. already set it on fire. All oh, right. good Lord, no. I was just... Uh, I would not have been happy. Yeah, no, no. I just had a lot of candles because uh, yeah, it was a thing for dead tomb, and I wanted to do a lot of candles and make it look like it was in a in a stone tomb and like that we were pull, pulling back the, the top and like the sunlight was coming in, and I had like 15 candles burning around the cartridge, and I just thought while I'm sitting there looking at it, setting up the shot with all these candles burning and like... None of them were closer than six inches, but still, I was like, okay, Nick, what, what's the replacement cost on this thing if uh, I accidentally set it on fire? Accidentally, yeah. Yes. It's fine. It's only a limited run game that was available for 30 days. Uh, well, I looked on eBay. Apparently, it's $80. So that's okay, that's that doable. Bad. I could have done It's not that. that bad. Yeah, it's all right. If you, if you absolutely got to set it on fire, go for it. But you are going to owe me $80. So. That's fine. Fair enough. I wanted to say something else um, along the lines of what we were just talking about. Sure. The replayability. I recently did the same thing. And I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but Neil Patrick Harris has put out a game called Box One, and it's a board game. Okay. It's, it's about the size of an old Trivial Pursuit game. You buy it. I bought it mine at Target. It's like 20 bucks, And it's it's almost like an escape room puzzle game for one person. And so you sit down and you open the box and there's like the first little card and you just read it and you just kind of go through this, this long drawn out process. It took me probably an hour and a half on the first day. And there comes a a logical stopping point where like you have to log on, log online without spoiling anything. And like, basically you're like, come back tomorrow and we'll finish up. So it was like an hour and a half the first day and an hour and a half the second day I did it in a weekend. It was very, very enjoyable and it was like 20 bucks, but I, I can never play it again because I've, I've played the played it through. But sure, I think it would be really cool to watch somebody else try to solve it. Although it could also be very nerve wracking because whenever I played it and I tried to solve it, I tried to keep everything as like near mint condition as possible. And oh, right. You have to take apart parts of the thing and try to put it back and put it back together, too. So but it's like, only meant to be played once. Yeah. If I watch right. my kids play this thing and they just like tore apart a piece of the piece of the thing like i i would freak out 
I tell you what, do we want to talk about our favorite puzzles or least favorite puzzles, or do we just want to like skip through that? Well, I know your favorite puzzle, Nick. Which one? It was the Marble Madness one. Oh, the labyrinth. Oh, yeah. Well, the yeah. Okay, so there, there. Yeah, you see very early on. This isn't giving anything away at all because there's there's a labyrinth game. There's a, like yeah. a, a marble in a maze kind it, of like, labyrinth game. Real early on, it's in the first like wall of the first of the room. Like I tell you what, I was so freaked out about that because the first time I saw it, I was I assumed that once you found the ball, you would have to spin the dials. Like you would have to use the cursor to spin the dials. And I have to say, thank God. All you had to do is press the directional pad yeah. because that was so easy, so much easier than like having to go back and forth. I, I, I'm wondering if maybe he, he tried that where you had to like use the cursor on the dials and was like, oh shit, no, this is awful. I, I was dreading that the minute I saw it, I, I was just like, oh my God, this is going to be so hard, but no, it was not hard. It, and it was nice because it was, it was the part of the entire game that was the most the most like a conventional 8-bit NES game where all I had to do was sit there and use my hand-eye coordination to press the directional pad and get the ball to the goal. That's it. I was like, I just kind of cleared everybody else out of the way. Like, this is my thing, okay? Like, I can do this. There was also a point where all of us started talking about Marble Madness. Oh, I forgot about that game. (laughs) (laughs) That's That's the next live stream we should we should live stream Mar- marble madness i will say so yeah when when we finished this game if you watched our live stream we did we got together we played four player Bomberman, and that was super fun yeah yeah man if you you want to kill like uh i don't know how long the video is it might be like an hour but yeah i i haven't uploaded it to youtube yet but by the time that i post this podcast episode we're we're gonna have some uh four player Bomberman on our youtube channel and uh that's gonna be pretty damn fun i think you should take some bets and i think you should probably bet on connor <laughs> it was a fun game to play to be fair it was a fun game to get it's, it's all to play for next time we play now it's going to be a lot more of an even playing field or bummer field i feel like i i feel like i once i got in the swing of it i mean because i was i was i had that game as a kid on turbo graphics right so i i was yeah i was you know i had played it once before we played last night so once yeah. oh my god and wow. it was at your house like six months ago. So I never, ever, ever <laughs> played that game growing up. Oh. I didn't even know what it was until six months ago. Yeah. So I got to to be clear, I got a PC Engine Mini, and then I got a multi tap for the PC Engine Mini, which you can play up to five. I, you know, I only got four controllers. I feel like I should get another one now. And then I got I I have four controllers for it. So if you were ever one looking at that thing online and wondering what asshole would buy that spend all of that money just to play four player bomberman i am that asshole i am eternally grateful nick that you are that asshole i'm Thank friends you. with that asshole so i got to play it yeah you're friends with that asshole can i get a t-shirt made that says i'm friends with that asshole and i'll get you one that says i'm the asshole <laughs> you maybe we can have those uh, shirts when we go to Midwestern Gaming Classic. I do have a Homebrew Game Club t-shirt on its way, though. Oh, okay. So we need to talk about this. I tell you what, let's take a break first. Let's take our break. We're going to listen to some music. And uh, see, what happens when we listen to some music is the three of us go to the bathroom and get another beer. So we're going to listen to some music. You you guys at home, you're going to listen to music. We're going to take a little break. We're going to come back here with our final thoughts on Nescape. And then we're going to talk about some some news and housekeeping that's that's not the music I was talking about. Thank you. We're, okay, I, here's some other music. Uh, let's listen to this. Christ, that was loud. 
Okay, do you guys have any final words on Nescape, the escape room game for the NES? That was one fine piece of music. It was, wasn't it, though? Play it, but make sure you know how to solve a slide puzzle before you start. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that would be a good idea. I looked at a couple of different strategies, and some of them I think were probably wrong. So you can, I think you can brute force your way through the slide puzzle, but... You know who helped us out really well, actually, that wasn't Kevin Hanley, was uh, Matt Hewson. He was in the chat. He was in the chat. Yeah, and he had a good strategy for oh, it. I think i got to ring the bell for mentioning his name in the podcast. Oh, that's right. Take a drink. Everybody take a drink. All right. That's good. We got all the way through this podcast, and we had not mentioned Matt Hewson. So there it is. No, actually, you did, because you said you had the interview done, and it was coming out. Oh, okay. Damn. Can't believe I missed that. All right. Yeah, so the, he had a good uh, strategy for solving slide puzzles. I, I I don't remember what it was. You'd have to look at the live stream. So, all right. Final words on Nescape. Do you guys have any anything else to say about this game? No, I really don't. I mean, it was a blast playing it. And I think the more the merrier as far as this game's concerned. The more the merrier. Connor? A plus, but no how to play slide puzzles. A plus, but no how to play, yeah. You know, and I, I'm just going to say what I, I said before, which is, again, I do not think this game was for me as a solo player. Right. But as a party game, I had I had more fun with this than any game I think I've ever played as a group, except possibly Micromages. Any NES game, I will say, other than Micromages. I, I think it's, as a party game, like, it, it was amazing. I agree. I had more fun playing this game than I've ever had playing a multiplayer game, except there might have been some nights way back in the day when you and I used to play GoldenEye with our friends. That's a special uh, moment. You can't replicate GoldenEye. It was, no. You can't step in the same river twice, you know? It's like one of those moments. Yep. Yeah. And you know what? I got my wife to play an NES game. What the fuck? Yeah, that's a victory right there. That's amazing. And she loved it. She loved the experience. Anyway. I got my wife to play Maniac Mansion while we were waiting for you guys to show up. So that was a huge victory on my part. Yeah, but see, your wife has actually played NES games, but she never played that one. True. She was kicking ass at Castlevania. She was fucking smoking Castlevania. Unbelievable. Like, she's probably better at that than I am. Okay. uh, Do we have anything else to talk about? The only other thing is I'm not going to be on the next episode. What? Mm-hmm. Connor is is not going to be on our next episode. Connor has a lot going on. Connor, do, uh, can we tell people where you're going to be ending up over the I'm, next couple well, months? Well, I'm looking to move to the UK. I don't want to get too much more specific than that because nothing's completely set in stone. But we are on a journey starting this Saturday to basically try and solidify those plans. Looking forward to it. Very excited. Very nervous but also a lot to do. So I will not have time for playing homebrew games between now and whenever the next episode publishes. Christmas. Mm, no. no. Before Christmas. But yeah, maybe not for a month or two. Right. I don't know why you would want to leave us here in St. Louis with our beautiful balmy weather. and. Uh... This is the best weather, by the way. The weather right now is the best weather. In oh, St. no, Louis. it's beautiful. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's March. Yeah, March, April... And like September, September, late September, October in in uh, the Midwest. That's when you should visit St. Louis. The rest of the year sucks ass. <laughs> yes. So uh, yeah, it's either it's either hot, it's like swampy hot, or it's cold as fuck. So yeah. Okay, so Connor's not going to be here next episode. Now, Bart, we're going to be busy. What are we doing? 
Well, we are going to the Midwest Gaming Classic next month. Yeah, I cannot wait. It's going to be awesome. So that's going to be April 29th, 30th, and then May 1st. It's going to be in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. The Homebrew Game Club will be representing at the Midwest Gaming Classic for the first time. Yeah, look for an ugly guy with a Homebrew Game Club shirt on. Uh, I'll be standing next to him. <laughs> hey! hey Yeah, we're, we're going to be uh, hanging out with some homebrewers. And having a good time. I just honestly like I've never been to a convention outside of St. Louis, so I'm I'm looking to go to a retro games convention. I want to play some fucking video games. Me That's too. all I really want to do. I want to go in there and just revel in everybody's COVID germs, get them all over me, and stick them up my nose and whatever. And and then I want to play some fucking video games. I tell you right. what, I'm excited to play. I want to come back home with a disease. <laughs> Can't wait. <laughs> I'm excited, honestly, to play the arcade version of Space Raft. Oh. Yes, that's what we're going to be doing. That looks really cool. I can't wait to go to Milwaukee and play Space Raft in an arcade. Speaking of which, our next game on the Homebrew Game Club is going to be Space Raft. Space Raft is a it's an arcade style game, I would call it. Uh, you can get it for $10 on itch.io. You can try it out for free in your browser at the Dusty Medical Records website. That's dustymedical.com. DustyMedical.com. That's DustyMedical.com, where you can also get a physical, complete-in-box copy of this game for $60. We're actually, I, I think this is a shorter game. That's why we're picking this. It's a shorter, easier game, because only Bard and I are going to be on this one, so we wanted to pick something that would be pretty short and easy to play. And it's based in Milwaukee, which we're going to Milwaukee for the Midwest Gaming Classic. So I, I, we can report back and tell you if Milwaukee is actually as it is represented in this game. I expect there to be chicken sandwiches all over the streets when I get to Milwaukee. Yes. So, Can we possibly find an old white van to take off some sweet jumps also? Yeah, I'd love to get a big u- white utility van and just take it up there. Yes. I'm, I'm hoping to like ramp it on some... Uh, if I don't eat at least one chicken sandwich off the ground, I'm going to be very disappointed. I, I intend to eat at least one chicken sandwich while we're in Milwaukee. This has been the Homebrew Game Club podcast. You can find links to our Discord, back episodes of the show, or other social media at homebrewgameclub.com. And you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at HB Game Club. If you like the show, please help us out by leaving us a review on iTunes or Spotify. Or the thing you can do to help us the most is by telling all your retro gaming friends about our podcast. If you have comments or a suggestion for a game that you'd like to hear us talk about, you can shoot us a message on social media or email us at homebrewgameclub at gmail.com. Our opening music is by Twee. You can find him on Twitter at TUI2A03, where you can also find a link to his SoundCloud. You can follow me, Nick, on Twitter, Instagram, or Video Game Sages at Divertov. That's D V E R T O V. Bart is on Instagram as clever username needed, no spaces. And Connor is on Twitter at C-O-N-O-R-N-A-S-H, also no spaces. Tune in next time to the Homebrew Game Club, when we will be talking about Space Raft. We'll see you then. Yay! Thank you. Thank you.